0: Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Um, Welcome to our Sunday morning service, and uh, we're glad you're here. First of all, let's look at the bulletin, Um, and basically we have all our announcements there for our ongoing ministries, the women's ministry. As a matter of fact, there is a flyer out in the back, in the back, for you women to, to take with you so that you can know what time the ministries meet for the women. And so we, we, we would um, ask you to take one, and if you'd like to participate or you need more information, you talk to Becky Holmes. Who? Oh, it's up on the screen? Okay, well, then I don't have to say anything about it, then, right? No. Anyway, uh, that's about the women's ministry going on there, and then also the Iwana clubs and also the Sunday night youth group. So... Uh, there's more information there. And if you need more information about uh, Sunday night, you can talk to Jacob on that. Um, anyway, as we continue this morning, um, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Jude. And going will read Jude verses 8 through 11 this morning in preparation for our pastor's, minis- uh, pastor's message. Beginning with verse 8, it says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, "'Reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. "'Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, "'when he disputed about the body of Moses, "'did not bring against him a reviving accusation, "'but said, The Lord rebuke you. "'But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, "'and whatever they know naturally, like beasts, In these things they corrupt themselves. "'Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, "'have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Let us pray. And Father, this morning, we're thankful for your grace that allows us even to be here. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have life, in whom, Father, we trust, and we, Father, we have hope in. It is through him, Father, that we realize how much it cost you to show your love for us when he shed his blood on the cross and when he hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. The work was done, Lord, and we thank you for that, that those that believe can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, Father, we have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can be in communion with him as well, Father. Thank you so much for all you do for us, Lord, and we think of those that are not with us for whatever reasons, Lord, especially those that are ailing, For we know, Father, that there's a lot of things going on around That we, we need your healing, Father, and we thank you for that healing already for them that one, we'll see them back here soon. And we do lift up Danny, Father, as he has um, had an accident with his hand, and we just know father that again healing comes through you and we we know lord father that uh, you can give them strength and and restore it back to health thank you so much lord for your goodness for your love and for father allowing us to be here and to hear your message this morning father it is through the message father that we can gain uh knowledge and knowledge we can apply in our lives father and we thank you for that and so lord just be with those that are here this morning father that we may have ears and hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ as pastor brings the message to us. Thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen. Good
1: morning, would you stand with us for a time of worship? this morning and it's a a song about how we can turn to Jesus in times of in times of pain. Jesus Come to Jesus Come to Jesus And live The way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So, if you see the sky is dark, and pause a rain. Feels the night, and when you can.
2: Thank you. Uh, That's better. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. morning. Usually, speakers are goofy and say they can't hear you, but you couldn't hear me, could you? Uh, Well, good morning, and uh, glad that you're here. I know that uh, probably half of the city sounds similar or worse than all of you all do sitting here trying to sing this morning, Uh, and so we want to keep that in mind as we pray, but... um, This morning, you may have known, Larson, Was that your first time in the drums? Yeah. Um, we got all sorts of things in the last Sunday. Uh, We had a backup uh, emergency speaker last week, so thank you, Bill, for uh, filling in at uh, like 37 seconds notice uh, just because of illness, so appreciate that, appreciate you, Larson. Um, But uh, you've heard Ernie already pray uh, for Danny. Danny had an accident. Uh, this this week, and uh, it, largely the risk does come with the territory of using equipment. Uh, but uh, he needs a miracle to keep his thumb that he was born with attached to his hand, and so I'm going to pray for that right now, um, as well as the other illnesses that we're suffering. But for that immediate need, so we're going to do that and pray that he's restored to the, the full function of his hand. Uh, this morning. Father, we do thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that, as Peter tells us, that you <clears throat> give us everything that we need for life and for godliness. Uh, and Father, we know that that includes um, our physical bodies. And we, we ask uh, now that even though the, the doctors don't seem to actually know how this comes out with, uh, with Danny and his thumb... Attached, Father, we pray for a miracle. Uh, we know that, that you made that thumb, uh, and that you gave it to Danica, and that if he's intended to keep it, Father, that is is up to you. And Father, pray for wisdom uh, and the treatment. Uh, pray for encouragement and comfort for him and for his family, um, and full restoration. Father, uh, we, we know that miracles are your stock and trade, and so we ask for that this morning. Father, well, I do pray for those suffering also, uh, just illnesses that uh, I'm still recovering from to some degree myself, and that uh, people would be restored to health as well from all of these other things that are going on. But Father, I pray that you would bless our time in your, in your word this morning as we get started back in Second Peter. This morning, that would be a blessing uh, to those who are here. Uh, in our lives as we are, we are engaging with your word and study this morning. And Father, we thank you for the life that we have in your son, simply by grace through faith and the love that he has for us even today. To your son's name we pray, amen. Uh, all right, children, so adventurers, I think we still have adventurers this morning. Who's teaching adventurers? All right, is the person teaching adventurers here? She's already back there. Okay, so adventurers, remember this is Communion Sunday, so young kids, you have class this morning, but we do not have explorers this morning. Did they already go? They could have sneaked. That's all right. Sometimes, sometimes they just do what they're going to do, and that's okay. All right, so big kids, you're with us, and I'm not talking about you right here, by the way, just so you know. I I named this, before I realized that we were going to have the kids in here, the older kids. Uh, and you may not even know what imprecatory means, but we'll get there. Uh, but we, we, we paused our series in 2 Peter about, about six weeks ago, uh, sometime right about after Thanksgiving. We picked up uh, with a, a short Advent series. We do that with some regularity at El Paso Bible Church. It gives us an opportunity to get into the Old Testament in ways that, that are not so easy to do all the time. And so we did that. Uh, and it was a good time for me to do that, but it's been a minute since we've been there, about six weeks, and uh, had some holidays, right? You've, you may have already broken your New Year's resolutions by now. Yes? See, that's why you should do what your pastor does and don't make them. Uh, but, um, you know, without trying real hard on our trip, I was, I was sick, as a dog, like all but one day of our trip this last weekend, so I didn't make a resolution to lose any anyway, weight, but I lost it anyway, not in a good way. Um, but you've had a lot, you've slept since then, you've had holidays, you've been traveling, so we want to review that, uh, some of the material in Second Peter. Uh, Second Peter is not a, a um, uh, often a well-understood book. What is it about and what is it talking about? The sentences are long. In fact, we stopped uh, kind of in the middle of a very long sentence, which you kind of have to do with some of these in the New Testament. Uh, but I hope you'll remember some of this, right, that uh, Peter is writing to a different audience than he wrote to in First Peter. In First Peter, remember that he had a very clear geographic designation for his audience. He had different churches, local churches specifically in mind when he spoke to them but second, Peter is a little different. He, he talks to people more generally. He said that if for this book and the topics herein, this is going to be written to those who have a like faith such as ours. In other words, the apostolic group. And so they, they have received the knowledge. The doctrine that they've been given is the same that the apostles have been given. So he's saying this is for all of us. So he's giving us the footing here uh, that this is material that the apostles understood and applied, and it's material that we need to understand and apply uh, because we have received a like faith such as theirs, right? And so he wants them uh, to grow in grace, right? He wants them to grow in grace. Now, grace is something that is uh, used in different ways, right, in Scripture, uh, Often we say that it is unmerited favor. Uh, that is certainly true when it comes to, uh, to God's grace and justification, God's grace and salvation. Uh, but often that causes problems for people. When Scripture uses phrases like grow in grace, well, how am I supposed to grow in unmerited favor? Well, it really just means favor, right? And so when we say as a believer you're supposed to grow in grace, that means that you're supposed to grow in maturity in the things that God wants you to do. Understanding who you are and the gifts that he's given, everything for life and godliness, what does he want you to do? So you're growing in your identity that you've received by grace and the gifts that you've received by grace, everything that's been given for life and godliness. And that's a legitimate way that scripture talks about that. Uh, So remember that he has given us those things. So you have to tell yourself that. You have to tell yourself that. You need to remind yourself of that because you are not going to wake up on a Monday morning and go, you know what, at least not every Monday or Tuesday or any other day of the week and go, you know what, today I got it all. I have it all down. I've got everything I need to live this life Yeah? I'm not being pessimistic, am I? I mean, I might be pessimistic sometimes. We talked about that already. I sound pessimistic for the first five minutes of some conversations because the first thing I demand is to know exactly where we really are. And people want to immediately go to, we're going to be okay. And I want to know exactly how bad things are, and then, yes, we'll be okay. But if you don't wake up, you've you've had at least one morning in your life, right, growing ups, where you woke up and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how this is going to go down. I don't know how I'm going to resolve this. I don't know how this is going to work out. And it is in that moment that you need to remind yourself that God has gifted us everything that we need for life and godliness. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be asked to do something. That doesn't mean that you're not going to ask to be wise. Because then he gives us a list and says that since you've been given those things, you can supply them. And he gave us an order of things to do. uh, To start doing something, don't be frozen. To apply wisdom and knowledge, those things that he's given. And it has a tremendous benefit in our lives. Not just getting us out of a sticky situation which it probably would do a lot of cases, a lot of times. But it has something else for us. And Peter says that by doing this, you become partakers in the, in the divine substance. You become, experientially at least, you're not becoming a god like some cults teach, but you are Participating in a meaningful partnership way into what God is doing in the world when you do this in that process, participants in what God is doing, and that has its own tremendous benefit. He says, if you do that and you increase in those characteristics, then you won't be useless. Nobody cheered. I'm very happy that God has provided me an opportunity in this life to not be useless. Men, isn't that one of your greatest fears in life? I don't know about you women, but we wake up most days and go, man, the worst feeling in the world is feeling useless. And God has provided an opportunity that we don't have to feel that way ever. I know men struggle with death. You, you won't be useless if you do that. It doesn't matter how many buildings you build or how many nations you conquer or how much money you make. No, that's not in the list. Being a partner with God's divine work and person by continually supplying the things he's given for life and godliness, supplying those in our lives faithfully, faithfully. He says, you're not useless. The world may look at you and think you haven't achieved anything. But in God's eyes, you're not useless nor unprofitable. Different phrases used for that. And in that process, we confirm what we're here on this earth for. And Peter, remember, this this is people who have a like faith as ours. I read that as saying the apostles needed to know this themselves. They needed to remind themselves that God had provided this to them because their ministries... Their ministries might have been judged similarly by the world, right? Apocryphally, we know that terrible things happened to all of them. Some is not as apocryphal as others. Prison, suffer, dying, exile. In our culture, I think sometimes it's, you know, we have a, even a harder time. Because who are the most important people, like if you're under, should I be charitable, under 30, who are the most important people in your life? I'm not talking about you, you believers necessarily, but probably some social media doofus. Somebody who has never actually produced anything except with their phone. And that's who we admire. Those are our Those are the people who are like, well, they've done something with their lives. Let me tell you something. That's going away. You better start judging yourself, your success levels by, by this process. What does God consider fruitful? What does he consider profitable? What is useful? And what are we here for? Peter understood he wasn't long for the world and he spent those moments writing these things down for us and say, I, this is the best possible use of the time that I have in my life is to remind you of the things that you already know and in which you were established, stabilized. You know, I built a couple of toys Uh, for Christmas, for my, one was for my grandson, and um, I made it out of mesquite, I made this horse out of mesquite, and you have to, when you're working with mesquite, you have to do things, Uh, and we call it stabilization, right, so we take an epoxy and fill the cracks, sometimes we make it pretty, because y'all know I'm all about the pretty, all about aesthetics, that's the only thing, that's what I live for, That's a joke. It's a joke, y'all can laugh, that's okay. You ain't gonna hurt my feelings. I made it pretty, why do you do that? So that it'll last. So that it will last. So that it's durable, stable, established. That's what he says, he's gonna spend his last moment in his life, up to the last moments, reminding people, regardless of criticism, because I know how this goes, As an expository preacher, I do not have the flexibility to just jump over to what you find interesting. And I won't. But that means sometimes I'm gonna have y'all look at me and go, I already know that. I don't care, right? (laughs) It's okay. You can already know all that stuff. Peter's audience, he explicitly said, you already know this stuff. You've already been firmly established in it. Guess what you need? You need to be reminded of it again because tomorrow is coming and tomorrow is going to have different challenges that have to be approached the same way. You're going to be looking for a new way. What you need to be doing is remembering the old way. And if I don't tell you, you'll forget. The most critical things that Peter came up with that believers in Jesus Christ need to know in this world to grow in grace And then he tells them, it seems almost out of character, about prophecy. There's no legitimate prophecy, he says, is the the creation of a human will. But it was a matter of inspiration. That the words of Scripture are God's actual words and not human production. (laughs) He does that so that we can know the difference. Remember, these are things they already knew had been established but needed to hear again. And he tells them the nature of true prophecy, scriptural prophecy, is that human will had nothing to do with it, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And there's a chapter break there which is kind of not my favorite chapter break. So you need to know that. You need to know what true prophecy is because false prophets and false teachers will arise from among you. We can understand the difference between the inspired true word of God and the false prophecy and the false teaching that was inevitable. See, we have a habit. (coughs) We have a bad habit. As believers, you know, you're told all the time, well, the church has got to get more externally focused. That's exactly how it sounds when they say it to me. I'm sorry, I can't say it any other way. The church has got to get more externally focused. You gotta get you gotta look outside. Well, let me tell you what happens when I when I see a local church that is focused outside all the time. Two things happen. Stress the heck out all the time thinking that they're going to find some solution, they're responsible for some solution, for some mess that God told them was going to happen and that he's going to resolve in the kingdom and not before. And two, they get caught absolutely unawares and off guard by false teachers that arise in their midst. So that's the problem with that whole philosophy. We have a problem. We look, we're trying to anticipate attacks from outside. I have never been in a church that was taken down by attacks from outside. Never. Never a failure from outside its walls. And I have been in churches that close their doors. And I have, you know, I was an interim circuit-riding preacher for all intents and purposes for a number of years. Some, many of the churches I appreciate at don't exist anymore. Not one of them fell because of the HOA around them getting up in their business. I've had churches that had problems with their HOA, had churches that experienced problems with the city in which they were in, or their neighborhood, or whatever. It pales in comparison to what happens when they fail to guard against false teaching arising in their church. Period. So it's dangerous. It's not just a bad habit. It's not just a bad habit. There are things that are bad habits that aren't that destructive. This is terribly destructive. Dangerous, Just like it was dangerous for the false prophets when they arose in Israel. And, and there's a number of if statements here. Because, again, you're going to wake up. This is not natural. It's not natural. I mean, like, it sounds horrible. In our little bitty church here, El Paso Bible Church, that we need to guard against false teaching arising in our, in our body. Well, who's going to do it? I've got my eyes on you. Jacob how could be? I know Jacob ain't going to do it. I'm just saying. I'm just watching. He, he likes it when I do this, you know. Loves it. It sounds horribly pessimistic, doesn't it? But that's where it comes from. That's where it happens. And it's not natural. You don't wake up uh, and be, have the, your priorities correct in this regard. And so he tells you. Because you might think that's hopeless. <laughs> that, that might be hopeless if I've got to do that. I can anticipate the things that come from outside. I can, I can watch that. I can look for the strength. I can do this. But I, I don't even feel right doing the other. He gives you a bunch of statements. If God can do this, if God saved Noah. Did God save Noah? God saved Noah twice, didn't he, actually? We've talked about this. He saved Noah from his generation by the water, and he saved Noah from the water. He saved twice. God saved Noah. He did that. If God can do that, and he did do it, if he could save Lot, did he save Lot? Yes, he did. He could do that. If God can do those things, Peter says, then you can rely on the fact that God knows how to save the righteous. If God can do that, he knows how to save the righteous. So you don't need to worry about it. He'll take care of you. And he knows how to judge the unrighteous. We're actually, like I said, in the middle of a long sentence here, So we're going to pick up in chapter 10, the Lord knows how to, nine was, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from testing and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially, especially, to those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesty. It's a description, right? There, there are categories uh, of destructiveness among false teachers, among sins, I would say also. Uh, you'll hear some people say something silly like, there are no sins that are worse than others. There are no sins that render you any less imperfect than others, there are sins that will kill you faster destroy your family faster, destroy your church faster, kill you faster. There are worse sins than others, and God identifies that. And among false teachers, he says that the the <clears throat> the ones of special note, right? I, I point this out to my homeschool kids uh, in my adult Sunday school class. They, because they're homeschoolers, they don't, they don't know where to sit in the classroom to avoid the gaze. Did you know that? Some, maybe, maybe, maybe even the public school kids haven't figured it out. They all sit in the back. If they want to hide from me, it's a fool's errand. I see them more clearly than I see anybody else. So if they're committing sin back there, you know, which they do sometimes... <clears throat> One of my own sons. I take special note of it. Right? That's the idea. God takes special note of this particular sin among the false teachers Not just people who are teaching things that are doctrinally incorrect, but they're using it uh, to indulge in certain behaviors. To justify their own corrupt desires. Peter says they revile angelic authority. Uh, This is actually, I think, how the scriptural writers often viewed scripture. I mean, that's how the New Testament refers to the law of Moses, that it was given by the hand of angels, that it was authoritative because that was the delegated authority that, that gave it to Moses. And so virtually any false teacher, in a sense, is reviling angelic authority that way. Um, angels only get power and authority from one place, as I see it, from Christ himself It's his messengers. They are reviling Christ's authority by doing so. Reviling, you know what that is. You, you don't use that word, right? There's some people you don't like, but you don't, uh, you don't think of yourself as reviling them. Right? No? You don't use that word? Spewing vitriol towards them, maybe slandering. Yeah, like that. You, you probably do it. I'm, I'm not judging you. you. You know what reviling is. It's, it's spewing kind of vitriol at somebody, and that's what they do. Uh, towards angelic authority. Towards power that was authoritatively granted to the angels. Delegated to them, they are, they are functionally reviling Christ's authority in the world. And, and that is one of the primary characteristics that they rebel against biblical authority. They rebel against biblical authority. Uh, and so, you know, on occasion I have confronted somebody on this basis. You may teach this one thing, but the Bible does not teach that. What do you mean? It just doesn't. Okay. And then it quickly degrades into shut up, you idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You revile the authority of Scripture. And some pretty well known people have done this to me. They revile authority. They rebel against it. They scoff at it. They are the nice way of putting it. They have an unteachable spirit. They're incorrigible is what we used to call it. Uncorrectable. Now, we, we exist in a treacherous position as teachers, right? Scripture even warns, don't, don't let many of you become teachers, brethren, because as such you incur stricter condemnation. Right? We know that that's the realm in which we operate. And there are times where you have to be right. You have to be convinced that you're right and stand there and take it. Um, and so you've got to be careful with this. But false teachers rebel against biblical authority, they're intractable. And I find that, that oftentimes they do it with a smile on their face. The, the nastiest vitriol that ever be spewed at you probably has a smile on that person's face. It's awful. Angels don't do that even. Verse 11 tells me that, whereas angels, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Are any of their reviling judgments warranted against angelic majesties? No. Angels only get their authority from one place. They get it from Jesus Christ. None of the reviling judgments against them are warranted, but even they do not reciprocate. They don't. Um, we have a saying, right? Fools rush in where angels dare to tread. I think it comes from this kind of a verse. It's true. Uh, angels don't even dare to step in the middle of this but these verse 12 like unreasoning animals note the simile they are like unreasoning animals they are they are responsible responsible for behaving this way they are like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed Reviling where they have no knowledge will, in the destruction of those creatures, also be destroyed. Uh, They can't, they don't act rationally in regards to biblical authority. They rebel and revile, but they are irrational in the way that they operate. in their hatred and reviling, like unreasoning animals. Natural animals, what they would call it. Paul uses something similar when he, he says, the natural man, <laughs> this character, the unregenerate, versus the Sarkikos man, who is regenerate, but doesn't avail himself of the blessings of it, and then the pneumaticos. these false teachers aren't even acting in a fleshly way, they're acting in the physikos way, the natural way, simply on instinct. Not on rational thought. They have no reason to do what they're doing. And they'll be brought to ruin and destroyed. We will suffer wrong, a penalty, as the penalty for doing wrong. There is a just wage that is earned by this, um, a misthos payment. Sometimes we call it a reward. That's okay. Uh, it is a, a payment that they've earned. They will do that. Sometimes it's hard to tell who they are. Peter points to that here. He says that they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They, uh, inappropriate behavior for the hour is the idea, right? That they, um, we, in redneck land where I grew up, we joke, right? You can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. That's the joke. Generally speaking, it's considered inappropriate to have that too many fingers of bourbon before breakfast, right? That's the idea. That'll ruin your day if you're planning on doing anything productive. I like bourbon. It's okay, but not before the breakfast tacos. Is that okay? I mean, like, y'all, understand? I'm not being judgmental. I'm being legalistic about it. But there's an hour that is appropriate. And you know, these people revel in inappropriate hours. They are doing things that are irrational. They're seeking their own destruction. They will receive a just wage for it. But they're hard to tell. It's hard to tell who they are sometimes. And here's why they are stains and blemishes. Reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. They party with you. Why is it hard to tell who they are sometimes? Oftentimes, everybody in the church is doing the same things with them. They're not treating the hour or the time appropriately either. They're stains and blemishes. They are inappropriately dressed for a celebration among God's people. They render something good, something joyful, into something unacceptable. So, last verse. Again, long sentence. We're not going to finish the sentence, just so you all 'all know. The sentence is still going on. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable persons, having a heart trained in greed, cursing or imprecatory children. Eyes full of adultery, sometimes that's talking about a a spiritual thing, right? Israel was talked about it, committing adultery when they were engaging in idolatry. The thing that you should realize is that most of the time that idolatry included physical acts as well that would have constituted idolatry. I mean adultery with their idolatry. There's not a sharp distinction between the two. But remember, these people are false teachers in a a way that they're desiring to to corrupt, to engage in their corrupt fleshly desires. And they're doing that. They're constantly scanning. Constantly scanning for opportunities to indulge the flesh. Instead of uh, praying without ceasing they're looking for prey without ceasing. Is that okay? Can you remember that? Is that, I'm supposed to put all this stuff on a bumper sticker. I can't always do it, right? They're predatory. And they prey on unstable people. That See, that word is not a common word, unstable Uh, The reason, I think, is because the New Testament is is designed to take people and make them stable, established. That's actually what Peter said. I'm going to remind you of these things that you already know and in which you were established, in which you were stabilized. The things on which you stand and from which are immovable and don't change in your life. Uh, But he says these false teachers avail themselves with adulterous eyes that never cease from looking for an opportunity to sin. And they entice unstable people. Uh, so we, again, that only shows up once or twice. I think it's in Jude once and here once, the actual un- word unstable. But throughout the New Testament, so that you are established, firmly stabilized. Your feet are set firmly here. And it's those who, who submit to biblical doctrine, to scriptural teaching, to authority in the local church, people who acknowledge Christ's authority in the church, who welcome encouragement and exhortation from other believers. Everybody wants the encouragement. Nobody lines up. If you have two lines, one says encouragement, one says exhortation. The exhortation line is going to be bored to death. Nobody wants exhortation, but if you want to be stable, if you want to be firmly planted, established in your life so that you're not enticed by false teaching, you, know, you need to stand in the exhortation line just as regularly as the encouragement line. Because they entice people who are vacillating unstable. And I, by the numbers I'd say I'm a vast majority of believers that I know are unstable. Now y'all understand I've known have been a believer since I was in single digits. I've been in church my whole life. I grew up where you were th- it was a three to thrive environment, right? You went to church three times a week and if you're a real Christian you went one more time. I know I got I know believers coming out of my ears. I know a lot of believers, and I would say that most of them, however, don't, don't do the things that scripture says are necessary to be stable. And they are susceptible then to being enticed by false teachers. And they are enticed. And people ask me, so now, why do people, why do people flock? To flaky churches. Why do people flock there? Because they're enticed. They are enticed there. And they're vulnerable to enticement. Because they are unstable. Uh, I know... So many families for generations at this point. It's been generations since anybody has had a commitment to be strengthened and established by the ministry of a local church that takes their well-being seriously, that has the exhortation line as well as the encouragement line open, uh, that teaches the Bible as the authoritative word of God on a regular basis. faithfully and regularly. And someone like that in this life has very little advantage over an unbeliever. An unstable believer, someone that has not submitted to the to biblical authority in their lives ever. Not tremendous advantage. In eternity, yes, yes. But one of the criticisms that we get as expository preachers all the time is you don't tell me anything that I can use. You're not listening very well. If that's the case. If the Bible isn't doing that, then... Y- y- <laughs> anyway. Very little advantage over the unbeliever when it comes to turmoil of daily life. Now, we're talking about false teachers, but false teachers don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, false teachers don't exist in a vacuum. They exist because they have they are successful at times in enticing unstable people to follow them. Uh, they, <laughs> they're intentional about it. And Peter says they're trained in greed. They are... Imprecatory children. Uh, My NASB talks about it like they are, they're cursed children as if they are receiving curses. It's a genitive. I think they're doing the cursing. They are casting imprecations and cursing at other people. Imprecatory. You. You know what an imprecatory is like? We have a whole category of Psalms. Imprecatory Psalms, may God break the teeth of the wicked. May He pull out the teeth of the young lions. May he it's pretty serious business. Imprecations. They have a place biblically, but out of the mouths of false teachers they're just corruption. They're immature at minimum. And instead of speaking grace from God's word, they spend their time teaching accursed things. Accursed things. James 3.10 uses the word that way. He says from the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. They, they're still a problem today. False teachers. They still arise from among us. That is how they gain a grip. That's how they gain a following. And they still revile biblical truth. They revile biblical authority. They rebel against Christ and against his authorities. And God will bring them to ruin. Now we still got more sins to go and we'll pick that up next week. uh, Here. Uh, starting with verse 15. This morning, I I do, some things are hard to transition to, right, and from. We do want to remember that the reason that we, we have discernment to apply to false teachers, the reason that we are able to engage in this process of being fruitful rather than useless, living our lives, is because we do have life in Jesus Christ, simply by grace through faith. And more than that, he has not just left us on this trajectory without knowledge. We know that he's coming again. And so this morning, as we join together around the table, we're going to remember that he came, that he bled and he died in our place so that we could have life, and that he's coming again so that we'll be with him forever. So I'm going to give you a few moments uh, to spend in prayer. And I would advise prayer, although you're welcome to sit in silence, just recalling the biblical commands uh, for unity, for forgiveness among those in the local body. And after that, I'll ask the men to come forward. Men, if you would, come forward. Bye. He took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand with
1: me? We'll dismiss with the last verse of this song and so we See you, next-